the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's always great to catch up with Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. Jack joins us every Friday at noon, and you can and should follow him on Twitter, at Jack Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R. You should read his site, theohiopressnetwork.com, every day, because that's where you'll find the real news. And Jack and I will be appearing with the High Point Patriots. We'll be speaking to the High Point Patriots in Logan County on December the 15th. So looking forward to that. Yeah, Bruce, I'm excited about the 15th. And as always, I'm super excited to be here with you this morning. Thanks for choosing me. I love being with you and the answer listeners. So let's talk about the uh, Bob Paduchik outgoing Republican Party chairman in the state of Ohio recording out there. Uh, It's being reported widely that he said something that certainly raises eyebrows about how the Republican Party raises money and then they can sort of put it in whoever's pocket they want to put it in. And the bad quote is, I've been doing this for 36 years and I don't want to go to jail. So what do you know about this recording and what it reflects about Bob Paducci? Yeah, the recording uh, allegedly was captured by a state central committee member who was newly elected to the Ohio Republican Party State Central Committee. Paducic is essentially saying what I think everyone already knows, which is that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, they both flout election law. And the way that they do that essentially is allowing candidates and their campaigns to raise money into the fund. And then that money comes out of the the fund that the party owns or has control over back to the candidate party. And people go, well, why do they do that? Well, here's why they do that. Because an individual can put more money in the pot. Corporations cannot donate to campaigns, but they can donate to parties, and then that money can flow through. So Paducic is really caught saying what I think a lot of people suspect is going on with Republicans and Democrats, which is that money goes into the party. And as Paducic uh, says, or it's alleged that it's him who says it, that money always finds its way to the intended person or to the campaign. But he said, you know, I, I wouldn't explain that publicly. I'd let the lawyers do that because I don't want to go to jail. Now, whether that means he's admitting something that's illegal or maybe he's saying, I don't know that I could explain this well enough. And if I got tangled in my words and it was picked up by the wrong person and prosecuted, maybe I'd get in trouble. I don't know. But the optics on it aren't super. But again, I think that folks have known for a long time that this is what goes on with the two major parties. Yeah, politics, dirty business, this just in. This is something I'm not saying I have any problem with this being reported. It should be reported. It should be vetted. I do find it interesting that the Columbus Dispatch is not writing anything about the Twitter files and about what we now know was shadow banning at Twitter according to political viewpoint. If you were someone who was talking, whether it was COVID, whether it was politics or whatever, and you did not espouse the preferred viewpoint of Twitter higher-ups or people who sat in control of whose tweets were seen, which ones trended, things like that, then they just kind of shut you down silently. You you didn't have any idea. Your audience didn't have any idea. What do you make of the Twitter files? And look, Jack Dorsey, the former head of Twitter, sat in front of Congress and said, we don't shadow ban people. I mean, I thought lying to Congress was a crime, Jack. Jack Dorsey is a 
liar. Mark Zuckerberg's a liar. And uh, both of those two met in 2019. Molly Ball wrote about this in a Time Magazine article that discusses the secret cabal that was responsible for making sure that Donald Trump didn't find his way back into the White House. But there are two issues here. When the files were first released, a lot of people said this is a First Amendment violation. By the way, I was one of them. I had a hot take. Look, this seems to be a First Amendment violation by the government and people need to go to jail. Well, as I slow walked that back, I saw that DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and the Biden administration were responsible for colluding with Twitter to make sure that opposing viewpoints were censored, taken down, stopped, whatever. Those are not government actors. However, there might be something there uh, in terms of you know civil liability, but in terms of criminal liability in the First Amendment, I don't see it reaching there. What is interesting is that an FBI employee is already on record saying in a deposition that the FBI met with social media companies at least weekly in the lead up to the 2020 election. That's what I want to know about. And by the way, there's a Fauci deposition that dropped last week, too. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting that his daughter works at Twitter? Now, here's a guy who says, I didn't know what was going on over there at Twitter. Well, okay, but you were essentially the social media darling and you were at the height of your career and you were talking about misinformation and disinformation. You didn't know what was going on on Twitter. I don't buy that. I think there might be something there. We'll find out. Jack Windsor, our guest, Ohio Press Network, online at theohiopressnetwork.com. Follow Jack on Twitter, at Jack Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R. We have a lame duck session of the Ohio General Assembly that appears to be on track to get something done that I approve of, the Protect Women's Sports Act. They've made some changes to it. I don't know. Am I giving up too much when the pelvic exams that were in there to verify the biological sex of a person saying they're male or female, uh, now they say birth certificate. Originally, I had no problem with it, but I'm wondering if maybe I'm not seeing what the left is up to because sometimes, as much as I try to work against it, they are playing chess and I, or they are playing chess and I'm playing checkers. Yeah, it really feels that way sometimes, right? Um, this is one of those bills, along with I think it's uh, Senate Bill 178. We'll probably talk about that next week because I think it'll get across the finish line. Uh, but I don't want to go too far in the weeds on that one. But you're right. And, you know, what happened was Ohio law- lawmakers started down the path uh, of protecting middle and high school girls from competing against biological males in sports. Now, the bill stalled when mainstream media and the left isolated and perverted language in the original bill that called for internal and external exams to prove their sex. Well, okay, they said, great, we'll just make an amendment, and what we'll do is we'll just swap birth certificate for exam. Here's the problem with that. Um, the change happened on Tuesday in the Senate Primary and Secondary Education Committee. But in December 2020, a U.S. District Court in Ohio's Eastern Division said that Ohio's state policy prohibiting changes to sex markers on a birth certificate to reflect transgender identity violated equal protection. That's curious. So mm. now we can accept the birth certificate, but can the certificate be changed? Well, the second district court in Clark County, so the state district court in June of this year said the statute disallowing for change did not violate equal protection. So you know what, Bruce, there's ambiguity, except with the bill sponsor, Jenna Powell, who says across the country, female athletes are currently losing championships, scholarship opportunities, medals, education and training opportunities and more. And the opportunity is being ripped from them by biological males.
Well, I have two daughters that play high school sports, one that plays college sports, and if they ever have to play with a biological male on the field, I'll pull them off because I don't want to put them in danger of that, and I don't want to sanction uh, that that's okay by allowing competition to take place on a playing field that is decidedly not level if a male is out there playing against girls. Our guest is Jack Windsor, theohiopressnetwork.com, and you had an important story on your site which really shows how insidious the commitment to the LGBTQ ideology is, particularly the T part, the transgender part. Tell us what happened in Hilliard schools. Imagine that you're the dad of a handful of kids and you have a construction company. You're supporting your family. You love your kids. You have a good relationship with your wife and your children. You're out in Indiana working on a construction project uh, that is a boon for your business. But all of a sudden you get a call from the school And by the way, you've never gotten a call from the school about your kids. But this call is not only a call. It is a guidance counselor saying, you need to come get your daughter. She's suicidal. Well, that's what happened to a set of parents in Hilliard School District back in October. They go to the school. They pick up their daughter. And they take her home for the weekend to try to unpack what's really going on. They discover some really disturbing things. Number one, uh, the student, the girl, was let out of class a handful of times because she was so emotionally distraught and distressed. The teacher said, you know, go take a walk, cool down. Parents were never alerted. That in itself is alarming. The student also told her parents that on two separate occasions, she talked with a science teacher and a choir teacher, and those conversations were about gender identity. One of those teachers said said to the student, hey, do you want me to start treating you and talking to you like a boy? So, It is apparent that this student was struggling with gender identity. I don't want to say gender dysphoria, but there certainly is a lot of peer pressure. There's a lot of conversation about it, and it was to the point that she was suicidal. At no time were the parents alerted until the student talked to the guidance counselor, and the counselor determined that she should be put on suicide watch. By the way, here's the third thing that was alarming. There's actually more than three, but according to the parents, the guidance counselor administered a suicide uh, inventory to the student while a student's peer was present. And so as you can imagine, as is the case in middle school, that rumor spread like wildfire. So let's go back to the weekend where they have the daughter home. The mom is there with the daughter and gets a text from some anonymous number that says, so is your daughter dead or is she alive? And now they're having to deal with the trauma of you know, that kind of language as a parent. And uh, what a mess in Hilliard schools. And my understanding is the school has not told the parents what the policy is about including parents in discussions. We've asked the school district twice, and they've yet to provide any information uh, as to the rules that guide conversations with kids about transgender issues or when parents are included in these critical times in a important discussions about mental and emotional health. Yeah, Olentangy, Hilliard, both with egregious things going on, many other districts too, but they're not responsive either one. They're taxpayer-supported, of course, as all public schools are. Jack, great to have you on the show. Appreciate it. Read Jack Windsor, theohiopressnetwork.com. Have a great weekend. You too, Bruce. So today there's a big ceremony for the unveiling of the official portrait of outgoing Ohio Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Maureen O'Connor. She is being made to retire because she has exceeded the age limits 
for someone who can run for a position like Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. Now, here's the problem with age limits, and here's the problem with not having age limits. The problem with having age limits involves those who, and I don't know if Maureen O'Connor falls into this category at this point in his life, maybe not two years from now, but at this point in his life, Donald Trump would, establishing an age limit will, without fail, occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, eliminate someone who is fully functioning functioning cognitively and able to do the job despite their age. And then there will be those, like Joe Biden, who get elected as president two years ago when he was 78 years of age, or he was 78 years of age shortly after he was elected. He walked into the White House, the oldest person ever to serve as president. He was older on the first day he took office than Ronald Reagan was on the last day he left office. And Joe Biden, clearly, as you watch him stumble and bumble occasionally and turn and shake hands that aren't there and look super sleepy at the podium and other times appear angry like people of advanced ages can sometimes be given to flashes of temper. Clearly, Joe Biden would be someone whose office would have been eliminated by the presence of an age limit. So I don't know where Maureen O'Connor falls in this matter or not. I'm more concerned with the fact that Maureen O'Connor sided with Democrats on the high court in the state of Ohio in injecting themselves into the legislative maps argument where they have no business being. The maps that were presented were maps that were decidedly more fair to Democrats than the voters of the state of Ohio have been to Democrats because the projected maps would have given Democrats more seats in both the House and the Senate than they currently hold in the House and Senate, or than they held in the old General Assembly. Well, it's the current General Assembly, but it'll soon be the old General Assembly when a new group of people come in on January the 1st. So the big official portrait of Maureen O'Connor will be unveiled today in a special ceremony. Um, I find it a little bit weird that she commissioned the painting of the portrait. Like, that just seems to me like that's something that other people ought to do for you rather than you doing it yourself. She commissioned it by a Cleveland artist and donated it to the state. And now there appears to be some disagreement as to where said portrait should hang. Republicans in the General Assembly probably would like to hang it in a uh, third floor broom closet because they can't wait to get rid of her. Uh, Democrats, as a way of thumbing their nose at Republicans, believe that it should hang in uh, the Grand Concourse, where we previously have hung the portraits of eight U.S. presidents, nine U.S. Supreme Court justices who hailed from the state of Ohio. I don't think Maureen O'Connor deserves to be there, but here's the argument to put Maureen O'Connor's portrait there. She's the first woman to serve as Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. Okay, we have to get past this whole first whatever thing in our country, all right? We should be, we should be by now way past having to pause and note that Hakeem Jeffries is the first black minority leader in the Speaker of the House. Because will we ever run out of these? No, we never will run out of these. Can we all just agree that we are citizens? And that citizens of the United States of America are fully capable and uh, 
offered the opportunity to serve our country in whatever capacity they seek. This overblown first this, first that thing is just exhausting. But you know who's deeply invested in this because this is the first cousin of intersectionality, right? Corinne Jean-Pierre. Oh, she's not only a... We've had female press secretaries before on both sides of the aisle. Kaylee McEnany, Dana Perino, Republican, Jen Psaki, Democrat. But Corinne Jean-Pierre was the first black gay press secretary. Mm, Okay, so what? I don't care. Nor do I care enough to let the dispatch write about outgoing state Senator Tina Maharath of Canal Winchester, a Democrat, without mocking this long, incredibly fawning portrait of her in the dispatch's online product as she is transitioning out of office. Now, why is Tina Maharath transitioning out of office? Is she like Maureen O'Connor at the end of her useful period of time serving? Uh, No, she is not. She was beaten after one term in the Ohio Senate like a drum by Michelle Reynolds, who, I mean, Michelle Reynolds is is black, and Michelle Reynolds is married, and Michelle Reynolds is a Christian, and Michelle Reynolds, I think, has a doctorate, and Michelle Reynolds is a very, very talented businesswoman who's dealt with issues of housing the homeless for years and years. She's eminently qualified, but we're not going to celebrate Michelle Reynolds. Oh, the dispatch is not going to celebrate Michelle Reynolds. I'll celebrate her. I've celebrated her enough to have her on the show twice. She's phenomenal. And I'll have her in studio after she gets into the Senate and starts digging her teeth into issues that she can solve. But Tina Maharath has to be lauded by the dispatch because she was the first Asian-American woman to serve in the Senate and the first Laotian-American to serve in the Ohio General Assembly. Oh, whoop-dee-doo. Well, let's find out. If it's such a tragedy that she's leaving the Ohio Senate, what did she accomplish while she was there? I mean, if you're going to laud somebody, I would think they'd have a long list. of She's been there for four years. What did she get done? Way down on like page three of this story from the dispatch says this. Ohio legislative records show Maharas sponsored bills didn't do well. Hmm. Only a handful made it to the House floor her first year and none... We're past. None. We're past. The next paragraph. Maharas said the one bill that she considers her biggest failure was Senate Bill 87, which would have created, get this, an Asian American and Pacific Islander Affairs Commission within the legislature to provide the Asian American community with a bridge to state government as well as state resources. It wasn't that her job? Like, isn't that her? Like, she's an Asian American, right? She got elected to the Senate. Why does she need a commission? Let's start a committee. Death by committee. Is it any wonder she got voted out of office? The people she was elected to serve, she didn't serve. She went in there with partisan interests and she got nothing done. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.